All right, find your place in Joshua chapter 8. I think I've got the right Bible up here. Joshua chapter 8. Yeah, I don't use that. Joshua chapter 8. We uh, will be uh, rescheduling um, the Lord's Supper. We'll be rescheduling our Thanksgiving meal. We may just call it Thank Christmas or something like that. Thankmas, Thankmas meal. Thank the birth of Christ. That, oh, I like that's a good one. We'll just thank the birth of Christ. So uh, we'll be praying about those. Pray for those again who are not able to be here. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything. I feel like I'm forgetting to to, to pass something. Oh, I, I did. Um, do you guys remember Al Price? Yeah. Do you? Okay. Um, Mrs. Price, uh, um, Al and Trish Price, they were up in Springfield for some time. Um, they were a, He was assistant pastor at Berean for some time. Then he took a church down in Naples, Florida. He was down there for some time and and um his his military he was one of the first ones on the stealth on the stealth uh, on the b2 i guess it would have been he's one of the first ones on the b2 his military career was a lot of black programs and uh it really affected him he he had he had some whether people agree with it or not or whatever but he had what he called some ptsd problems and um some of the hardcore hardcore military don't believe in that stuff but some do so, but he does. He has some real issues, and and he had uh, and he had had to. He felt he needed to resign the church. Uh, Brother Joe Baxter and his family are pastoring down there right now and doing a great job in Naples. And uh, Brother Price and his wife moved back to uh, moved to Arizona. And just what is today Sunday? I guess it would have been Monday or Tuesday. I guess it was. Uh, it was her birthday that day was her birthday, and uh, they were heading up north from where they were on vacation in Arizona. They were there up north of the valley where they live, and a drunk driver, head-on collision, killed her instantly. And uh, he's still in the hospital. And it's just, it was just devastating. It was, uh, she had just turned 60 that day, and they had uh, been together. I saw his la- one of his last posts on Facebook was that morning about six thirty in the morning, and it was a happy birthday to his wife. He said, and he said, "I can't imagine living without her." And she was dead that night. You know, I just, I can't. Words cannot. I just don't have the words to even think of what that was like. And um, so, and he has uh, over two hundred stitches in his face, broken legs, broken. I mean, just internal bleeding. He had a. It's amazing he he lived, and uh, so be in prayer for the Price family for Brother Al Price. They had been together since high school. Um, just it's sad. It's sad on on every way possible. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I I don't know when the funeral will be because he I don't know when he'll even be out of the hospital. I I would Lord willing would probably like to go to the funeral, and uh, he's he was a real help to me. And, and years ago and stuff. So, anyway, be praying for for Brother Al Price and that family there, and um, just God to give comfort. So, all right, Joshua chapter eight. Joshua ch- chapter eight. I got to kind of figure out how to segue here <laughs> into this. But uh, 
Does anybody enjoy losing? <laughs> I, was, I was headed somewhere not too long ago, eh, last year, maybe last summer sometime, and our oldest granddaughter was in the car with us, and she's yakking away and yakking away, you know. And uh, she was talking about how her uh, soccer team and, and how they lost, but that's okay because losing, you know, winning isn't everything, and it's okay, it's okay to lose. The whole point of it is just to play the game. I said, really? Who, who said that? Well, our coach, you know, our coach said that. And I said, well, Elena, let me ask you something. Uh, does God win? <laughs> she thought about that. She goes, well, yeah, I guess. I said, so it's okay to win, right? Well, yeah, I guess it would be. I said, so probably the, the, the issue is how you lose, right? Losing with the right attitude, losing when you do lose, lose in a right way and things like that. But you, you don't want to ever not want to win, right? Oh, I guess. She hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And no, no, really, we don't like losing, do we? Nobody really likes losing. I don't like losing, all right? Whether it's losing money, that's no fun. I don't think anybody, you know, unless they're trying to sell you something at the store the other day, the lady goes, would you like to know how to save 20%? I said, no, I hate saving money. I hate it. And she goes, okay. It's like just, <laughs> they don't know what to do with that. But no, I, I don't like losing money. You ever buy a penny stock? You ever buy this latest, greatest thing that's going to take off and make money because every money guru tells you if you put money here, you will win. And you find out the moment I put money there, I lose, right? I have learned this. If I invest in it, it goes down. The moment I sell it, it skyrockets. It's just the way my life is. And so, uh, but we don't like doing that. We don't like losing money. We don't like losing personal items. We don't like losing time. You know, when we look and you look back during the day and you go, man, I have just wasted two hours, you know. And sometimes it's frustrating, especially when you have uh, deadlines and things like that. We just, I don't think anybody really enjoys losing very much. But what about in the Christian life? What about the Christian life? Do you know there's times when there is loss in the Christian life? Now, we are in a battle, right? We're in a battle every day. We understand that. We know this. Jesus Christ has won the war. Praise God. It's taken care of. You've heard these, these sayings before. We've read the back of the book. We know that we win. We understand that. But there are battles to fight, are there not? There are daily battles to fight. And there are victories to win but sometimes we do lose spiritual battles. How many has ever lost a battle? Yeah. Yep. We all have. We've lost battles in our spiritual life. How many have ever lost battles to a besetting sin that seems to always win? <laughs> how, how many have gone through periods of their Christian life where it seems like you're just on a losing streak? Yeah. And it seems like you could just never get on top. Listen to me. There are reasons why we lose battles in the Christian life. There's a reason. God wins. God wants us to win. And when we're losing, red flags should go up and say, well, there's a reason why we are losing. And if you're losing battles, and maybe you, there may be somebody in here losing a battle tonight, I don't know. But if you are, from our text tonight in Joshua chapter 8, I'm going to show you tonight how God has an answer for you and how you don't have to lose battles. 
So if you remember back last week, I think it was in chapter 7, uh, Israel had gone up. They had just come through Jericho. There was a wonderful victory in their life. They came up to Ai. They said, hey, this is easy. It's small. We only need 3,000 men. So off they went off to war. They went up and Ai chased them down. 35 Israelites died. And they came uh, with their tail tucked between their legs, came back. And then when we find Joshua on his face before God... Uh, he, you know, he's sackcloth, ashes, dust in the air. He's torn his garments, his faces to the ground, uh, pleading with God, wondering what has gone on. Why did we lose? Why did we lose this battle? And God comes back and says, "Get up. <laughs> it's not that complicated, Joshua." It wasn't a battle problem. It wasn't a strategy problem. It wasn't because, you know, uh, this person went this way and they should have went this way. Joshua, the problem was is because there's sin in the camp and that's all it is. Pretty simple. And so uh, Israel lost this great battle. This should have been an easy battle because there was hidden sin in the camp. And we looked at that last week, how Joshua dealt with the sin. God told him what it was. So Joshua, he brought all the, remember this? He brings all the tribes together. Were we here last week? Yeah, we were here last week. Man, my brain. Well, he brings all the tribes together, right? Then out of all the tribes of Israel, uh, he brings Judah out. And from Judah comes out uh, the Zerahites. I had to write this down. The Zerahites, they were singled out. Then from the Zerahites, the family of Zabdi was singled out. And then from the household of Zabdi, Achan. Achan was brought out. And Achan was told to confess what he had done. And he did. He did. Now, don't miss this. There was a search. There was a search going on to find out exactly what sin had caused Israel to lose an easy battle. They took the time, watch this, they set time aside, they brought all Israel out, and they began to search one by one. Where is it? Where'd it go? Where did it come from, I should say? And so we see here that Achan was found out and the sin was exterminated. They took Achan. They took his family. You can talk to me about this later. I believe they were accomplices. We know that God doesn't judge children for the sins of their fathers or fathers for the sins of their children. But the whole family was taken. They might have been accomplices. <laughs> there was a reason God took them. The stolen items were taken that he had that he had taken that he wasn't supposed to. Achan's livestock, all of his belongings were taken. They brought him down to the valley there. They stoned him and then they burnt it all. They completely and utterly obliterated everything that had to do with Achan, and nothing was left. Yeah. And so now that the sin is taken care of. God now comes to Joshua here in chapter 8, where our text is tonight, and tells Joshua, okay, go back and fight him again. Now think about that. That could be tough. You know, if you're a great psychologist, you might say, boy, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, something to try to overcome there psychologically. You know, you've already faced one loss. It's hard to do it a second time, right? But in verse 1, look what God says here. And the Lord said unto Joshua, first, right off the bat, look at this, fear not. 
neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. So God has commanded Joshua again to go and fight Ai, and he tells them, don't fear them. Now, if you go back to chapter 7, we don't have to do this. God didn't tell them anything about going up to Ai. They just realized we've gotten rid of Jericho. Ai's next. Here we go. But God didn't say anything to them about Ai. Why? Because he was silent. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. We're going to look at this here in a little bit. And so he tells them to fear not. He says, take all, A-L-L, look at that. Take all of the people of war with you. Not just 3,000. Don't decide just because it's an itty, just because it's an easy battle that you don't need many to fight this. Can I tell you, I, I think a wonderful uh, takeaway from this is that there is no battle in our life that is easy. The smallest battle that we think, oh, we don't, oh, don't worry about that. Really? Yeah. Viruses that are microscopic kill people. Nothing is too little. Look what God tells them. Take all the people of war with you. And then notice thirdly what he says. I've given it into your hand. <laughs> wow. They have the word of God, don't they? And so then in verse 2, God is going to command the scope of the battle. Look at this. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst to Jericho and her king, only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof ye shall take for a prey unto yourselves. Now he had, this is a little bit new. Look at this. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. So God is going to give them the whole scope of how to actually take the battle. This is great strategy going on here. They didn't do this the first time. They just went up presumptuously with all of their with their little crew, and they went in and they got chased back uh, to their camp. But this time God says, "No, don't do that. Come behind the city." And we're going to see here in a little bit that how God intended them to take this city. So Joshua is now heading off to war again. And it can be very difficult to overcome a loss again. But what they have this time that they did not have the last time is what I've already said was the word of God and the assurance of God when he says, Fear not, I have given it to you. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people in the Christian world who need to grab hold of that phrase, Fear not. Do we not live in a time of abject fear among God's people? No, it's very disconcerting to a pastor. I told somebody the other day, we were talking about all of the challenges going on in our world, and I said, the biggest thing that concerns me as a pastor, the biggest thing that I am concerned about is watching God's people live in fear. That's ungodly. I have quotes from Charles Spurgeon and, and from George Muller that lived during that lived during the time of cholera. And they said, We will go on and do what God has told us to do. Spurgeon says, If I die, well that'll be glorious. <laughs> and if I stay here and do the work of God, that'll be glorious. Either way we win, right? Yeah, fear. God tells them, fear not. 
So verse 3, we see he says them to take 30,000 men, not 3,000, 10 times more than you took the last time. 3,000 here in verse uh, number 3. Look, so Joshua rose up and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Now notice this strategy here. He sends them away by night. You can read the text here for yourself. He tells them to lie and wait against the city. He says, go behind the city. Don't get far away from the city. Just stay right there behind the city and just wait there. And Joshua said he and his other men are going to come into the city and they're going to start like they did the last time. Remember the last time they just went right up into the city and they got chased? Joshua goes, we're going to do this again. Me and my men, we're going to come in, and we're going to go right in. And what will happen, which we see what happened, you know what happened? It worked just perfectly. They went up to the city. Here comes Joshua. I assume maybe he had 3,000 like they did last time. He might have been that tricky. And the men of Ai go, oh, they are dumb. This is going to be easy. And out they come. So Joshua draws them out of the city, right? They're chasing them down. And Joshua and the men of Israel are running away from these men of Ai. And I don't know how much fighting actually went on. But they drew them far enough out of the city. Most of us, we know what happened here. He draws draws them out of the city far enough to where Joshua finally turns around, raises up this rod, raises up his spear. And all of those guys hiding in the back of the city. (laughs) Yeah. So here they come and they come down on the city. And they're just hacking away and blood's going everywhere and bleh, it's gross. Yeah. I'm telling you, I, I hope the Lord has DVD players in heaven so we can watch all these old battles. That's going to be some good viewing right there. Yep. And uh, what happens next? Oh, yeah, they burn it. Then they burn the city. And so when the men of Ai look back and know what they see? Smoke. Boom, boom, boom. This is a bad deal, man. This is bad. I wonder how quickly they realized and went, oh, no. <laughs> We're dead meat. <laughs> yeah. So you know what Joshua did? He turned around and started hacking them into pieces. It was a glorious sight. Look what it says here, Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8, Brother Jim read this for us. Look at verse 25. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of of AI. Yeah. So Israel won. Victory. Victory. Kind of like winning, don't you? <laughs> I do. I like it. One of the worst persons, people, to play a board game with is my wife. Because she wins all the time. It's terrible. So demoralizing. Yeah. She's like, You want to play? I'm like, No, I don't want to play that. No, Israel won. This is a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, I I wonder if American Christianity has ever lived under such defeat 
as we do today. Churches are empty. Altars are empty. Baptistries are seldom stirred anymore. The world is invading the church. You know one thing that uh, Brother Unruh said this morning and uh, was what they, they have a, a children's program and the Hindus generally don't, you know, they're very cautious about sending their children uh, to these things. And he said, you know, one of the things that made them uh, feel at ease to send their children to their program was when they came in the church and they saw that there was not drums and a guitar set and a rock and roll set up. These are Hindus because they didn't want their children exposed to the Western culture and, and, and just the, the filth of the Western culture. And they said, oh, yeah, they can go. Isn't that amazing? The world is invading the church. Rock music is called worship. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we're all on the same page here tonight. We could camp on that for a while and just shout amen for a while on that one. Entertainment choices in the life of believers. I remember it's about 25, maybe 30 years ago, a church that when my brother began to bring me to church with him, this lady stood up in church and she confessed to a movie she watched for the whole church. And everybody was like, <gasps> and I was telling our kids about it the other day and I, and I think it was one one of the one of them said, that was it? It was this movie called Silence of the Lambs. And the church was horrified. We've come a long way. And our kids were like, really, that was it? It's like, yep, that was it. The world is invaded. Personal separation standards Defeat. We're defeated. Fear abounds. We've already talked about that. I, I, I don't know if we have lived under such a time of defeat. I was telling Brother Unruh today at lunch, uh, my, he was talking about his, his great-grandparents and, and uh, what they had come from and this and that. We got talking about that. And I was telling about my, my own great-grandmother who had got onto my mother for having vanilla extract in the house, for having that liquor in the house, she said. She was beside herself that she'd have that. She's a part of the women's temperance movement. Yeah. Vanilla extract. I'm like, ooh, what's in vanilla extract? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. No, we've got, we, we are living in a place of defeat, friend. We absolutely are. And we have excused the lack of growth to just a sign of the end times. You ever heard that one? Well, it's the end. It's the end. Do you know churches are growing in other nations across the world? Closed countries, they're growing. People are getting saved under great oppression. No, churches have always grown in the most adverse situations. They really have. But here's the problem. The problem in my life, the problem in your life, the problem in every member of the uh, of the church's life, we could say maybe in the in the problem in the church life in general is really simple. It's just sin. It's just sin in our life. 
And when sin comes into the life of the believer, listen to me please, we will begin to suffer spiritual losses. Losses over vices in your life, losses in this, in your closeness to God, losses in our minds and our wrong thinking and things that we can't get victory over in the minds. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. When we begin to lose spiritual battles, listen please, it is a sign that something is wrong. It is a sign that sin is in the camp. You say, well, how, how on earth does this happen? Oh, I'm glad you asked me that. I even have a little something down to answer that. <laughs> yeah. Let me start here. Will, willful disobedience pushes God away and builds a wall. If you ever have an opportunity to maybe uh, grab a book, I wouldn't over just overtly or over uh, just endorse uh, Roy Hessen. But he wrote some wonderful books, two of them called Not I But One But Not I But Christ, the other one called The Calvary Road. I would encourage anybody to get those books. And he explains what sin does little by little. It starts with a just a little bit of a veil between us and the Holy Spirit of God. And then as we continue on in sin and we don't confess sin and we allow things to come in our life, that veil becomes a thick curtain and then it becomes a, a, a wall and there's just this, this chasm between us and God that he just seems a thousand miles away. No, we can, we can have all this on. We can have our tie on. We can have our suit on. We can sing the songs. We can love people. We can, we can seek the lost. We can do what we ought to do, but there, there's just something uh, uh, just wrong, and we try to get our finger put on it. And I'm telling you, that when willful disobedience comes, it pushes God away and builds a wall. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Remember that one? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. What is this wall? What are we doing? We have, we have, we have grieved the Spirit of God. Over in, I think, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. The Bible says, we're told, Paul said, to quench not the Spirit. Now those are two different words there. The word quench and the word grieve. The word grieve means to make uneasy. To make sorrowful, to offend. The word quench means to suppress or to stifle. So watch this, when you quench the Spirit of God, when you stifle Him, when you suppress Him, which is what happens when we ignore Him and, and refuse to obey Him, what comes next is you make Him uneasy, you make Him sorrowful, you offend. Watch, 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 watch. This, the, 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 the operational aspect of our life of quenching brings about a relational problem. You see, grieving the Spirit of God is a relational issue. I think we're on the same page here. We understand the Holy Spirit of God is a person. He is a third person of the Godhead. He is real. <laughs> Do we agree that God has emotions? Do we agree that God is happy, God is angry, God is grieved? Well, this is what happens when we reject the drawing and the, and the work of the Spirit of God. We grieve Him. We sorrow Him. We offend Him. Yeah. And then we stifle the work that He's doing. And so watch this. When we disobey, the operational function of the Holy Spirit stops. And the relational fellowship is just put on ice. 
Can I tell you, we cannot afford, we cannot afford to quench and to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can't afford to do that. But this is what happens. Willful disobedience is putting God away. He's building a wall between them. And with God pushed away, you know what starts to happen? What happened here at AI? We lose battles. We're losing battles. We've pushed them away. we put a wall. We've grieved. We, we, we have quenched. Listen to me. And when we push away the only one who can win, we're going to start losing battles. Let me remind you of what Jesus said in John 15.5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. You know this, for without me ye can do nothing. Right? We can't win without Him. We cannot win the battles in our life without God. So, so here's, here's the next logical question. We wonder, how does this happen? Well, here's how it happens. Sin. Well, what's the remedy? What is the remedy to losing battles in our daily Christian life? Well, let me start by telling you this. Well, victory is up to us. Let me, let, let me read you Proverbs 24, 16. The Bible says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. And I love this verse because the mark of a just man, the mark of a righteous man, is not that he doesn't fall. The mark of a just man is that when he does fall, he gets up again. That's the mark of a righteous man. You know what a just man does, a just lady, a woman does when she falls? There's something inside of her, that, and something inside of him that hates where they are. They hate the where, where they're living. There's something inside of them that is drawing them unto holiness, drawing them unto righteousness, drawing unto forgiveness. You might hear a song, you might hear a message, you might hear something, and it just there is something that is pulling you back to where God wants you to be. That is the mark of a just man. That is the mark of a just woman. Not that you don't fall, but when you do fall, listen, it may be some time, but listen, you are going to get up again. You're going to get up again. Seven times, what is he saying? Over and over and over again. The just man gets up. Let me remind you uh, tonight that uh, Abraham got up again. Remember when he went down to Egypt, really messed up? She's my sister. Uh-oh. Yeah, God had to intervene. What happened? He ends up back at Bethel and starts all over. He got up again. Abraham got up again. David got up again. Peter got up again. Jesus told us the parable of the prodigal son who got up again. He did. And if you've fallen in sin, if you have chosen sin tonight, listen to me, you can get up again. Absolutely. You've got a wall. You're losing battles. You know you're losing battles because there's sin in the camp. And you can get up. You say, how do we get up again? Well, Notice what Joshua did here. Joshua knew there was a problem. God told him it was a sin problem. And Joshua began the search process. What do we do? Well, start searching. 
You say, how do we search Psalm 139? I love these questions you ask me. They just fit right in here. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. David said, Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When's the last time you got alone with God and said, Would you just search me? And just sat there still and asked God to search you. If you just said, God, is there anything? Is there something there? Maybe I don't even see it. Is there something there? We begin by searching. Number two, God will point it out. Yes, He will. He pointed it out to Joshua. He pointed it out to Abraham. He pointed it out to David. He pointed it out to Peter. And He'll point it out to us as well. He'll point it out. But I want you to notice this. The problem with Achan was deeper than the act. Say, what was Achan's real problem? Remember, we're talking about finding the problem. We're we're searching our heart and our soul for the sin in the camp. We're trying to figure out why God feels a thousand miles away. We're trying to figure out why we don't have victory in our life over some things. We, We ask God to search us. We wait for Him to point it out. And you might be amazed what God says. Because the problem with Achan was not that he stole stuff, that he disobeyed. It was much deeper than that. Would you turn to Exodus chapter 20 with me, please? You're thinking, Exodus 20? This is weird. Those of you who know Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 1. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Are you not shocked at the people that say, oh my God, Christians, that's wicked. Yeah. I'm just, just, I I know them, we have a generation that just hasn't been taught, but sometimes I just get shocked when somebody does that still. Yeah. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Wow. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day of the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt not do any work, that thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservants, thy maidservants, nor thy cattle, for thy, for thy, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. So we're showing some old photographs we had of, um, of a mall that, uh, oh, it's a, it's a long story. I was showing the kids. We are looking at this old mall, and uh, there are some old pictures on, on the Internet of this mall back in the 70s and the 80s. And I said, we used to go to this restaurant here on a Sunday. Very rarely, my, fo- my dad would take us to this restaurant. And I said, the whole mall was closed. Everything was closed back then. 
But that restaurant was open. That was like only a few you know restaurants were open. Remember Blue Laws, right? Blue Laws, and they they were kind of shocked. I was like, yeah, that was that was pretty wide. That was the way it was. The law of the land, pretty much by and large. And uh, Blue Laws, six days shall the labor and do thy work. Look at verse eleven. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, see all that is in them. He rested day uh, the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Look at verse twelve. Oh, this is a good one. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Verse 13, thou shalt not kill. Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's, covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Wait a minute. Did you catch something in there? Thou shalt not covet. That's interesting. Go back to Joshua 7, would you? Joshua chapter 7. Achan is in a place of confessing. Look at verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Look at this, verse 21. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I... What does that say? I can't hear you. Say that with me. It is, he said, then I coveted. Let's try it again. All I heard was Jana. Everybody, one, two, three, coveted. Then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Covetousness. Look what the searching brought out. Reminds me of Romans 7, 7. I wrote this down here. Paul said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For Listen to this. For I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus? Remember this whole thing? And he came to Jesus and he said, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, I have kept the law from my youth. And Jesus said, wonderful, that's great. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible said he went away with much sorrow. Why? For he had much things. Do you know what that rich young ruler forgot of the Ten Commandments that he thought he obeyed his entire life? Covetousness. Sell all that you have. Well, I guess you haven't kept the law, have you? Covetousness. This was Achan's problem. It wasn't that he stole the goodly Babylonian garment. It wasn't that he hid them. It wasn't that any of these things were really the, the, the main issue going on here. The, the, but with searching, listen to me, with searching and searching out to figure out what the problem is, and it was finally pointed out that the, the underlying problem in Achan was his covetousness. You know what this tells me? 
The visible enemy that defeats us is not usually the culprit. Usually, the, listen, the vice isn't really the issue. The attitude, that really isn't the issue. The worldly entertainment, that's not usually the issue. The addiction isn't usually the whole issue. There's usually something deeper that is keeping God from fighting for you. In Achan's life, the issue was covetousness. He, yeah, he disobeyed, yes. He stole what wasn't his, yeah. He hid it and covered it all up, yeah. They're all the byproduct of the issue. They're just a byproduct. Achan's real issue is covetousness. His covetousness brought the sin. His sin brought the defeat for him, for all of those around him. And his defeat was ultimately his ruin. Winning battles. Winning battles. What's keeping you from winning battles? You say, you say, you know, I, I just have this spirit about me sometimes. I just have this attitude. I know it's there. If I'm put in the right situation, I will, I will respond the same way every time, and it's so unchristlike. It's driving me crazy. And I've just, I've just tried to get to stop doing this one thing. I've just tried to stop this, and I can't stop it. Search. Search. Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. You know, I just have this, this vice that just keeps coming up. I have this, this uh, okay, I'll call it this, I get this, this addiction. I don't know what to do with it. And just sit down and say, search me, O God. This is a byproduct. God, what's the issue here? Because I'm tired of losing battles. And listen to me, when God points it out, so many times it's deeper than the visible sin that you're being defeated by. Maybe idolatry. (laughs) Do we not have a problem with idolatry in our nation today? I am God. I am my own God. I will determine what I do for me. I will idolatry. Yeah, this gets really convicting to me. I'm about to stop this because I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> the way we respond to people, the way we say things, the way we say, you know, you know, what, what is the root of some of these? Just because we we're, we're idolaters, and we're God in our life, and we're going to determine how we talk to people and how we respond to things and the attitudes we're going to carry because you're God, right? Covetousness, lust. Let's just say it. You know what underlines so much of this? Trust. Trust issues. It's Peter's problem. He just didn't believe God. (laughs) He was a a saved unbeliever. He finally believed him, didn't he? Remember? Finally believed him, went out, wept bitterly, finally believed Jesus. 
Day of Pentecost preached, 3,000 got saved. Oh, that was wonderful. So what's keeping you from winning battles? Search it. Ask God to search you. When He points it out, be ready. It'll probably be deeper than you thought it was. Confess it. Confess it. Tell him, God, that it was that that it's just I, idolatry is ruling me right now. I want to be so in charge of everything. I want to be in charge of it, which is a trust issue as well. <laughs> Confess it. And purge every last bit of it out of your life. Boy, how do I do that? Well, how would you purge out covetousness if God pointed that out in your life? How about thankfulness? How about a life of gratitude? How about just spending a couple days of going, Lord, thank you for the 6,000 pair of shoes I have. (laughs) Judy, do you have 6,000 pair of shoes? Lord, thank you for a 20-year-old washing machine. I know there are people in the world that are washing clothes, one, one, one shirt they own on a rock every morning. Thank you for that washing machine. Lord, thank you. Thank you for an automobile. Lord, thank you for socks. You say, oh, that's so silly. Really? Is it really? Yeah. There, no, there are people that don't have socks in the world. We have drawers full of them. Chores full of them. Different colors. Yeah. Work socks, casual socks, dress socks. It sounds goofy, doesn't it? No, it's not. It'll cure your covetousness. Thankfulness. Gratitude. Practice contentment. What does the Bible say? Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Just be content with the things that we have, right? Yeah. So ask God to search you. When God points it out, confess it. Start purging every last bit of it out of your life. Then get up and serve God. And you know what you're going to notice? You'll start winning again. The things that were getting you all the time, They'll lose their power. Why? Because now God will be fighting with you again. God can't lose. (laughs) No, He can't. If you're losing battles, and they may be battles that nobody even sees, if you're losing battles, it's it's an indication that something's wrong. Because listen to me. Please, listen. God wants you to win. God wants us to live in victory. He intends us to win. And He's made it possible for us to win. Well, Father, I do want to thank You tonight. For your word. I want to thank you for the simplicity of your word. I want to thank you when we try to make it so complicated. 
that you show us once again, it's really so simple. And Lord, it could be tonight that there are those that are losing some battles in their life. Maybe they're, maybe they're not major battles. Maybe they're nothing that looks like, oh, the, the world would look on them and say, wow, that's terrible. They may be little hidden things. They may be in the mind. They may be just attitudes and things that are easily suppressed, but we know they're there. We know they're there. Maybe it's discontentment, things like that. Could be the, Lord, those battles that are being lost. And, and Lord, we just need to get aside and ask you to search us. And put your finger on what the issue is. And I'm thankful, Father, like that you said, the, the, the just man falls seven times and we can get up again. And so, Father, would you do a work tonight in our heart and life? Maybe we all just maybe spend a week or two and just saying, God, search me. Is there anything else? Is there anything else? Because here's the, here's the deal, Father. I want to go out and I want to win. Because I want you glorified. I want you to be able to work through my life. And I know people out in the audience here tonight, they want you to work in their life. And they want you glorified in their life. And they want the world to see Jesus in their life. And they want to see people come to Christ yeah, through their life and their testimony and their witness. So, Father, would you do a work tonight? Thank you, God. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand?